Amen. We're in Joshua chapter 15. Hey, Joshua's getting pretty tough for me, to be honest, <laughs> with all these names and all these cities. It's, it's amazing. I've read Joshua, I, I can't tell you how many times, and until you really dive in and study it, you begin to say, wow, why didn't you just stop at chapter 14, Lord? But there's great and precious promises in here. There's an inheritance for us, and God wants to underline that because we need to walk in that inheritance. We need to understand that he just didn't save us and say, okay, I'll see you when you get here. He has things for us right here on planet earth. So Joshua chapter 15, and I will be jumping around, but I'll make sure you stay with me. Verse one says, so this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah. So we're, we're back to Judah and we, we come to the largest tribe here. Caleb, by this time, has received his portion, and we're going to look at that, that land, and it will be divided, the land of Canaan, up in three stages here. Uh, my wife uh, told me last Sunday, well, really, when I looked at the map, you said Judah was the largest tribe, but I saw other tribes that were larger than Judah, <laughs> But I said, if you look closely, Judah is in the south, Ephraim is in the north, that gray area, and remember Ephraim and Manasseh, they're really one tribe, the tribe of Joseph, so that's, that's large up there in the north. And then you have the other seven and a half tribes around them, and we will look at the lot of these uh, tribes given out quickly here. So follow with me. It says in verse 1, according to their families, the border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin southward was the extreme southern border. And in verse 2, it describes that south, that southern border. In verse 4, it says, it passed towards Asmon and went out to the brook of Egypt, which is not the Nile, and it goes to their coast. And when we look at the east border, which is the Salt Sea, it's also called the Dead Sea, we're going to find the, the other border is the Great Sea, which is the Mediterranean Sea. So you want to take note of that north and south border, which is Judah, because the east and the west borders, once again, is the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. So that's a large piece of area, real estate there. Judah receives a huge inheritance because they are a large, they are the largest tribe. And you can read through all of these names on your own. Once again, it might not mean much to us, but believe me, if someone has left you an inheritance, a piece of property, you want to make sure you get everything that belongs to you. Now, in verse 8, it says this, And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom, to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. And that continues to describe their border. Verse 12 says, the west border was the coastland of the great sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. Now, on your own, remember, you need to correlate what's 
what's happening now back to Genesis 49. Remember, Genesis 49 is the prophecy that Jacob gave on his deathbed, and this was relative to Judah. And then if you come back and read what we're looking at now, you will see that it can be nothing else but supernatural, the Holy Spirit speaking here how every tribe would receive their lot. Verse 13 brings us back to Caleb. At this point, he's received his inheritance, and now it says in verse 13, now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah. Caleb's inheritance was on the inside territory of Judah there, Hebron. That's Caleb's inheritance there. It says, according to the commandment of the Lord. Notice it says, according to the commandment, not the lot. So they didn't cast lot for, for, for uh, Caleb or Joshua's territory. To Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, Arba was the father of Anak. Verse 14, Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there. So there was, they were still remaining there, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kirjoth Sefer. Anytime you see that word Kirjoth, it means a fortress or a wall. So this was the wall of Sefer here, the, the fortress of Sefer here. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjoth Sefer and takes it, to him I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. I wonder if she said, hold up, Dad, I haven't seen the guy. Let, 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 at least let me see what he looks like. But she trusts her dad. Those are good things sometimes. It says, Kena, so Othanel, we, we probably have heard his name before. So Othanel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, one of Caleb's brother's son, took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. There's a beautiful picture that the Holy Spirit is revealing to us here. Othanel was the first judge in the book of Judges, by the way, and his name means Lion of God, and he comes forward to defeat an, an enemy so that he can take a bride And of course, it points us to Jesus Christ. That's what he did for us. Verse 18, now it was so when she came to him, notice she appreciates what Othanel has did, but she wants more. That she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey and And Caleb said to her, he knows her, something's going on. What do you wish? She answered, give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Once again, this is a beautiful picture of the bride, the lion of God, asking for springs of living water. That's what the Lord wants us to do. We should request those living waters each and every day of our life because they are there for us. 
to refresh us, the Holy Spirit bubbling up inside of us. Jesus says this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. That's what she's asking for. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. So here's the bride doing what the Lord wants us to do. Ask, Lord, fill me afresh each and every day with your spirit. Fill me afresh so I can be the witness, so I can be the dad, and I can be the mom, the sister, or the brother that you want me to be, Lord. I can't do this in my own strength, in my own energy. I need you. And so, once again, Caleb and Joshua, they are the only two that receive their inheritance by the commandment of the Lord. They received it by his word. I want you to see how much more intimate that is, how much more closer Caleb and Joshua walk with the Lord than the other tribes, because they received theirs by lot. That's good and well. But the Lord spoke and said, hey, I have this for you. John Corson says all the time, we can be as close to the Lord as we want to be. And that's what they do here. Caleb re- receives his inheritance as a companion of Joshua. That's what we do as the bride of Christ. We receive our inheritance by the companionship of Jesus Christ. We, the Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ. He's, once again, he's did the heavy lifting. So it says in verse 20, this was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. Now, as we come to verse 21, we come to the cities of Judah that are named in the southern lower parts of the plains. And I won't do, do this to you. I won't read all these names, but verse 21 says, the cities at the limits of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the border of Edom in the south were, so in your spare time, you can go back and read these names. I'm going to ask you next week, did you do that? So in your spare time this week, you can go back and read them. But if you look in verse 46, it says this, from Ekron to the sea, All that lay near Ashdod with their villages, Ashdod with its towns and villages, Gaza, we still hear Gaza in the news, with its towns and villages, as far as the brook of Egypt and the great sea with its coastline. Verse 48, and in the mountain country, no, it names these cities to verse 63, and that were given to Judah. So these cities were mountainous, in the mountainous areas, not just down in the southern plain. Verse 63 tells us, as, as for the Jebusites, there they are again, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. It seems that Judah inherited over 100 cities and villages. They have little problem at all taking and possessing those territories, except for Jerusalem. And so we have to ask ask ourselves, what's going on here? What's the difficulty that they're having here? Remember, they have captured Azonai Zedek. They put him to death. 
who is the king of Jerusalem, and Joshua kills him. And if there's a failing, we know it has to be with Joshua, with Joshua leaders, because it's not a failing with the captain of the Lord's host. He says, I've given you the land. So they have an issue here. We don't really understand what's going on, but we know the Lord is not the issue. And then we have to go back to 2 Samuel, unless there's a little providence involved here. Because once again, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, chapter 6, when David finally brings the, the, the two tribes back in communion together, the next thing that King David does He says, now let's go take the capital. Let's go to the Jebusites because that's where I want to put the tabernacle. And so David and Joab and his men, they defeat them there. And what I think the Lord is trying to show us, when the Lord Jesus Christ is in his rightful place, and his rightful place is on the center of our heart, we can defeat anything or anyone because the right king is being ruled, is ruling us there. Saul was never the right king. That's why Saul could never defeat the Jebusites. But as the right king comes on the center of our hearts, we can defeat anything or anyone. We can take and possess the land. So I feel like that's what the Holy Spirit is telling us here. Chapter 16. It says this, verse 1, the lot fell to the children of Joseph. So we just went from Judah to Joseph, from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. Understand that Joseph, once again, it represents Ephraim and Manasseh. That's a large territory there. And Ephraim they say receives probably the best fertile part, the best lush part, the best beautiful part of that territory. Verse 2 says, then went out from Bethel to Lut. So they received the whole area from Shechem. As Abraham goes into the land, the first place he hits is Shechem. Also, they received the area of Shiloh where the Ark of the Covenant will be. 300 years, the Ark of the Covenant rested in Shiloh. That also falls to Ephraim. Remember, Jacob has said Joseph will be a fruitful vine. And that's what's happening in the land with Ephraim and also Manasseh. Verse 3 tells us at the beginning of it, and went down westward, verse 5, the border of the children of Ephraim according to their families was thus. And then it describes all of their territory. Verse 9 tells us, The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, brothers, all the cities with their villages. And then it was the half-tribe of Manasseh. Remember, because there's half the tribe of Manasseh is on the eastern side. The other half is on the western side. Help me out. Which side, because I get confused, which side is the Land of promise. Was the land of promise on the western side or the eastern side? <laughs> That's why I'm here. On the western side. That's the promised land. 
The eastern side, Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh is there. Remember, they said, hey, this is fertile on the western side. This is room for the cattle on the eastern side. Forgive me. There's land for cattle here. We're going to take our inheritance here. And Joshua said, okay, you can settle in here, but you've got to go to battle with us. And when we've had our territory settled, then you can go back. That's why the half-tribe of Manasseh is split, and that's going to be very important. We're going to find out. Take note. Verse 10 says, And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. They should have seen that notorious check engine light. You know, I like to, when I see that check engine light on my car, it's fine. It's just, I can still drive it for miles and miles and miles. Don't be like me because that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit is saying here. That check engine light is on. So, PV, what are you going to do about it? And, and it? and it wants to show us an interesting contrast between what Caleb did because he wholly followed the Lord and how the half-tribe of Manasseh is working this thing. And yet, here, the tribe of Ephraim in itself is much bigger than Caleb's territory because Hebron is in Ephraim, and Caleb defeated the giants, and he has his territory there. But these guys, they say, we can't defeat them. And so, what they do, they subjugate the Canaanites. But the issue is, if you can subjugate the Canaanites, you could have put them to death. And so that's the issue. It's, 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 it's a part of the picture is showing us what disobedience looked like and the consequences of it. They're without excuse because they subjugated them, but they chose money over obedience. And what we see in the book of Judges, Ephraim becomes subjected to the Canaanites. So it reverses, and that's the way it usually happens. The same people they had put in subjugation, within one generation, they had made them succumb to their own demands. And God warns warns us of this very early in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, as God rebukes Cain, it says this, God tells them, if you do well, will you not be accepted? You mean God won't accept me? So I looked at that word. It means, will you not be exalted? Will you not be elevated? The reason you will be elevated, the reason you will be exalted is because you're obeying me. You're walking in obedience to my word You can't help but to be fruitful in those situations. And then he says, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You should have dominion. You should have reign over sin. So take note of these warning signs that's beginning to be put in front of us. Are there things that we, uh, 
allow to live in our lives? That's the question that we allow to pay tribute to. It pleases us in some way. We know the Lord wants us to put something to death. That's what he's just commanded us. We have enough strength to keep it at bay. Oh, I've got it in check. And we take it out and play with it. Reminds me of Samson. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he gets up and he beats down the enemy and he keeps it at bay. And then he takes it out and plays with it again. And we keep it at bay because we really don't want other believers to see it. We don't want them to know what we do. But the big picture is that the Lord knows. And he's wanting us to put all of that to death. It may give us pleasure. And we know in our hearts that the Lord is saying, you need to destroy this or that. And the fact that we keep it in check shows us that we have the power to put it to death. But we find some false confidence in it, that we can do as we please and keep it at bay. But I'm here to tell you and I'm here to tell me we can't live in successful disobedience as long as we want to, because sooner or later, it will take over us and have us in subjection. We're going to see Ephraim, like I said, they will be subjected in the book of Judges. But on the other hand, Caleb, that's who we should be like, a man of a different spirit. We should strive to be like that. We should want everything the Lord has in store for us. Rahab has said their defenses are gone. They have no power over us. That's what Jesus Christ did when he resurrected from the dead. There's no power. He's put to death all principalities and powers and anything that can have reign over us if we yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to have his way in our lives. That's why we have all these lots and all these different uh, uh, lands here, because we should be walking in victory. I love Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 19 through 23, what the Lord did when he resurrected from the grave. Paul is saying we need to have wisdom. We need to have revelation of what the Lord has did for us. We as believers in Jesus Christ should be living victorious Christian lives. But we must go in and possess this territory. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. There it is, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. The victory is all ours. Chapter 17. Once again, we come to the half-tribe of Manasseh on the western side. It's still the tribe of Joseph. Remember the 
other half tribe of Manasseh has its inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan, along with Reuben and Gad. Remember in Genesis 48, as Jacob and the children of Israel, they're in Egypt by this time, and Joseph has revealed himself to them. Joseph has been told his father is sick. Remember the account. And so Joseph goes to his father with his two sons. I love how the, uh, how the King James says it. And Jacob strengthened himself in his bed. He's about to speak to the son he loves, Joseph. And verse 5 of Genesis 48 says this. As I read this over and over, either Joseph is, I know he prophesies in his bed, either he's prophesying right now or he has not, because it will say his eyes are so dim, he has not noticed Manasseh and Ephraim with their dad right now. But it says, and he says, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, he says, are mine. That's bold. Joseph really doesn't like that. And to make sure he understands, he says, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Then he tells us in verse 8 through 10, the beginning of verse 10, then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, or he has dementia. I don't think he has dementia, but this, this is what's going on. Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Here it is. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph is wanting to help his dad out. So he positions them so Manasseh would be on Jacob's right hand the hand of blessing. He's the older. And he puts Ephraim on his left hand. But verse 14 of Genesis tells us, then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hand knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Joseph said, not so, my father. You're doing it wrong. But Jacob tells him, yes, I might be old and all this, but I know what I'm doing. I heard this from the Lord. It's been decreed what's happening here. And hundreds of years before this, God clearly inferred the greater blessing would be on Ephraim and not Manasseh, who was the firstborn. And it's the same thing that goes for us, you guys. God has pronounced a blessing upon the second birth. Yeah, it's good to be born once, but it's best to be born twice. And the blessing comes on that second birth. We see that with Ishmael and Isaac. We see that with Esau and Jacob. The Holy Spirit is letting us know it's just not enough to be born if you want the blessing. You must be born again. And that's what it signifies here. So verse 1 tells us, there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan. And then the lot of Manasseh fell out. And I'm not going to give you all these names. We'll pick up at verse 3. 
But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tersa. And they came near before Eleazar the priest. Now, this is bold, what these women are doing here. Before Joshua, the son of Nun, and before the rulers saying, and this is where they get their boldness from. The Lord, just like Caleb has said, the Lord said this, the Lord said that. That's how bold we should be as believers. The Lord commanded Moses to give us, and, he's, and they go back to uh, Numbers chapter 27, an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, since this is what Moses said, the man of God, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh, the half-tribe that's on the eastern side, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan. Verse 6, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons. Notice, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. Now, I want all of you single women to take notice of what's happening here. There is much of an inheritance and as much of a promise to the single woman as there is to the married woman. That's the type, that's the kind of God we serve. And there, there's no distinction between the two. If any of these daughters of Zelophehad had been married, their inheritance would have been with their husbands and with their tribes. But these were single women, and they were willing to take a stand only because of the word of God. In fact, their brothers on the eastern side, they got less of an inheritance than these women will get in the land of promise because they held on to the promises and the faithfulness of God here. And it shows. So here these single women are. They come to Joshua and Eleazar, the daughters of Zelophehad, that had come to Moses back in Numbers 27, and they reiterate what, exactly what Moses had told them and what they basically say, just because we're women and our fathers had no son, we don't get any inheritance. That's basically what they said. And they tell Joshua and Eleazar, hey, this is not right. And that's boldness. And we know what happened. Moses goes and he seeks the Lord. And Moses comes back with the word of the Lord. Hey, they're right. And now an inheritance falls out to them. And they're not slighted at all because they're single. They're not slighted at all because the men have their inheritance also. And my exhortation to you single women that may be watching or listening here is not to settle for less because God does not want you to settle for less. I know it's, it can be easy to sit around and, and the thing to say, hey, everybody else is married. It's easy for them. They have a husband. But we have to understand 
who our inheritance is. Our spiritual inheritance is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our inheritance. And don't think because you're a woman and married that the married woman has an advantage over you. Because the thing is, after you get married, you find out quickly that the greater inheritance is the Lord. He's our inheritance. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand here. They may be single women, but the Lord is still looking out. The Lord is still providing for them. He will provide for every child of God, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're widowed. It does not matter. The Lord is our husband. The Lord will take care of us. He's promised to do that. And we can have boldness in understanding these things. Would to God our culture would understand that because the culture is trying to force so much stuff on us, vile things, especially on women, single women. Oh, you're not valued that much because you're not even married. This and that, what's wrong with you? That's a lying culture. The God of this world will try to whisper those things in your ear. But Almighty God doesn't see it like that. He wants you to understand that I'm your husband. I'm your provider. I'm going to keep you. And we should rejoice in those things. Verse 7 tells us, And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Mikmatha. And it goes down to verse 11. Verse 12 tells us, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. That's when they could have drove them out once again when they were strong. But they say, no, there's a benefit. I better keep this anger because I might need it if someone upsets me. I better hold on to a little of this pride or this lust, or this selfishness, because I might need it. And it benefits me in some way, so I won't get ran over. But God is saying, get rid of those things. There's no benefit there to you. That's only keeping you from being conformed into my image, because there's no selfishness in me. There's no lusting after vain things in me. There's no pride in me. And if you're being conformed into my image, you can let those things go because I'm going to take care of you. I'm your defense. I'm your shield, the Bible says, and your great reward. So let those things go. Let those attitudes go. The Lord, he will defend us. And we have to understand that because that's what's going on. It tells us. The believer, our inheritance, I've said it over and over again, great and precious promises that through these. Now, what are the these? I've said it many of times going through the book of Joshua. Great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. 
If I let go of things through the power he's given me, I am being conformed and transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And and for you and I, it's a matter of possessing these things. He's given us the land. We've had the victory in Christ Jesus. Now we must go in and possess once again this land. I must possess this body. I must keep it in check so that I can grasp and take a hold to all of the promises of God that he has for me. There's no question about it. He's given me the territory. He's given me the land. If I'm battling with anything, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. The same way Caleb possessed his land, the same way Joshua possessed his land, is the same way we can possess ours, all of the promises of the Lord. If I'm struggling with anything, I can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with unforgiveness. I'm struggling with this temptation. Lord, I know you want me to walk up right before you. And if my heart is right and I'm sincere and I mean what I say, I will have victory. Now, remember, he said, I'm going to leave some in the land. So little by little, it's a process that you will defeat the enemy and you will stick close to me. The Bible says God cannot deny himself. Speaking of who he is, if he made us promises, he will grant them if we do our part in seeking him. That's what they fail to do here because they would rather snuggle and cuddle up to whatever brings them pleasure. But we can go to the Lord and ask him to come and set us free from these things, and he will do that. Verse 14 says, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot? We've seen on the map how much territory they have. And one share to inherit. Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now, So Joshua answered them. I love what he gives them back. If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of of the parasites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. Joshua had no problem being direct with the sons of Joseph because uh, Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. They're his brothers. And Ephraim, if you read through the Old Testament, they always have their hands in foolishness. They gave Gideon a hard time. They gave David a hard time. And they were always into something else. They gave uh, Joshua also a hard time. And they're the major tribe, once again, Ephraim in the north. And yet they're still coming to Joshua. Maybe they're thinking, hey, he's one of us. So he'll show us favor. They thought they had some kind of entitlement. We deserve this or that. But Joshua, he's, he's too much of a man to succumb to any of their foolishness or any of this nepotism here. He won't go for it. Joshua, matter of fact, he waits until everybody else 
gets their portion of land, and then he receives his. Because Joshua is content with his inheritance. Joshua understands his inheritance is the Lord. And wherever the Lord is, that's where I want to be. And wherever the Lord puts me at, I'm happy there because the Lord has carved out this territory from me. We have to be very careful when it comes to tribes and cliques, even in families, because families can say, hey, you deserve this. You deserve that. And we can begin to think we do. That's why we need to get our marching orders, get our assignments from the Lord, because it's easy to be swept away by a tribe, a tribe of your friends saying, hey, you shouldn't have you should have told them, given them a piece of your mind when you didn't and you did the right thing. Because when someone slaps you on one cheek, you should turn the other. So you have to be careful. We get our marching orders from the word of the Lord. And Caleb is not going for any of this. The tribe of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, and especially Ephraim, They feel like, once again, they want more, but they don't want to do the work to receive more. That's why Joshua tells them quickly, hey, if this is not enough for you, there's plenty of more territory. You can go and you can possess it. He says in verse 16, but they say, but the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. That's why they didn't want to go up. Both those who are of Bethshin and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to, notice what he says, the house of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, since you are a great people, at least that's what you just told me, you're a great people, and have great power, you shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites. He tells them that because that was the word of the Lord. Though they have iron chariots and are strong, if you are who you say you are, then you will have no problem cultivating the land, developing the land, because The Lord is with you. The same God that was with us when we went and took the land, especially Caleb, because he defeated the giants in his land, he's saying the same God that is with me is the same God that is with you. So you should be able to defeat the land here. If all we leave our children, if all we leave our children when we leave this planet, is a property, pieces of land that the lawyers may have to settle. We really haven't left them anything. Inheritance must be a lot more than that. Inheritance must be the faith, first and all, as much as we can, giving them Jesus Christ, praying for them, giving them character and persevering through hard times and hope and vision and character. That's what our sons and daughters need. Someone who who, who they are willing 
to take the tough piece of terrain that has been allotted to us, you guys. Because these days, if something is hard to do, we don't try to do it. It's hard to reign over at countryside, but we're going to continue to plow. I've got some nephews that is tough to reign, but every time I'm around them, I tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord will use that because I want to leave Anthony and Erica more than a piece of property. I want to leave them the Lord Jesus Christ. When, matter of fact, when you go to the book of Judges, the last part of Joshua, he would say, you guys need to obey the Lord. You need to follow him. And when they get, and then Joshua tells them, you want us to give you something. We're not going to give you anything. They didn't give it to us. When, when Joshua and Caleb came to the, the land of Canish Barnea and they could not go into the promised land, 38 years, wilderness wandering. Not only those 38 years of wilderness wandering, but seven years of wars in Canaan, they fought for it. And, be, and before they crossed over into the western side, they fought the king of Bashan, Og, and, and, and I forget the other king's name, but they defeated them on the, on the eastern side of the Jordan. And they said, we did this. You want to know how we did this? Because the Lord says, I'm going to leave some in the land over in Canaan, so my people will learn to do what? To war, to battle. God says, I'm going to leave them here. And he's not speaking of battling with chariots and with swordsmanship and with battering rams. Oh, no, no, no. They didn't defeat their enemies by that. They defeated their enemies by battling on their knees by prayer. And he says, I'm going to leave them there. Because this is the only way you're going to seek my face. And so they've got to learn to war. And warring is on our knees. And warring is in prayer. Lord, I'm, my, my son is wayward. Lord, I'm fearful that he doesn't know you. And I'm on my knees. And I'm seeking the Lord. I've told you guys before. I know my mom and dad pray for me because when I was 21 and 22 years old, of age, still living there, and I would walk through their bedroom door, and they kept their bedroom door open. Mama was on one side, and daddy was on the other side of the bed on their knees as I would go through the hallway, high or drunk, praying for me, praying for me. And they learned to war, and that's what it takes. Don't give up. This is warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. These are spiritual battles that manifest themselves. And God, Caleb, tell, Joshua tells them they're here because you guys need to know how to war, how to possess the land. And we will never possess the land until we know how to get on our knees and pray and seek his face. And that's what he says here. That's what it's about. Quickly, chapter 18, verse 1. Now, the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh. This is all of the people in the land on the western side. And set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. Notice it said it was subdued. It wasn't all possessed yet, but it was subdued. 
But there remain, and this is funny to me, but there remain among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Notice this past tense once again. It's already been given to you. You have the half-tribe of Manasseh on the eastern side. You have Reuben and Gad. Then you have the half-tribe of Manasseh on on the western side. You have Ephraim and Judah. And then you have seven other tribes, and that makes 12. Seven other tribes. They're in the land, but they're just hanging out. They're happy to be there, and they don't even have their territory. And it begins to be a thorn under Joshua's side. And he finally asked him, hey, why are are you being slack? Why don't you go and possess your land? And he says, let me me help you out here. He tells him in verse 4, pick out from among you three men for each tribe. Remember, they took, Moses said one man from each 12 tribes. He said, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you three men for your seven tribes. So you should really benefit yourself. 21 men are going out. And I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. So there seems to be a slackness here. Ephraim, Judah, they've received their land, but these guys haven't. They're just floundering there. And Joshua takes notice of it. How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God, your fathers, has given you? God, once again, he has things for us. He has things for us right now. Sure, we have an inheritance in the kingdom, but he has things he wants to give us right now, you guys, things he wants to possess. And Joshua says the same thing that God spoke to Abraham when he said, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Josephus tells us that these 21 men that are sent out to to survey the land because that's what they're doing. They had the skills of geometry. They had the skills of surveying. So they didn't only go out and just look, but they mapped it out and they surveyed it out because they had learned these skills in Egypt. So these 21 men, they go out, they survey the land. They do all of the legwork. They do all of the hard work. Don't you know they've seen valleys and rivers and springs, and forests, and mountains, and as they're sketching and surveying, they're saying, oh, I want that. Oh, that's what I want. I mean, I've seen it first. I, I want that for myself. And they're seeing all of this. And then notice what happens. Verse 5, and they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their ter- territory on the south. The lion of the tribe of Judah is on the south. And the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north, the ox, the servant on the north. You shall therefore, in verse 6, you shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me. And this is the part that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we have to do our part. Once again, man's responsibility, 
but then divine sovereignty. We've did the legwork. We have skills. We have abilities. We have all those things that the Lord has given us. But yet, we don't have this part down. We take this back to the Lord, and then they draw lots. So all of that fertile valley that I wanted, God might say, I'm not giving that to you, PV. I'm going to give you something else because I, you can't handle that, but I'm going to give you something you can handle. That's our God. That's the genius of God. And the reason I know that's the genius of God, Matthew chapter 25, when he speaks about the householder, Jesus speaking, he tells us, he tells us here, he gives talents, five talents to one, two talents to another, and one talent to another. And then he says, according to their ability. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It would be hard for Victor to be a rocket scientist. I don't like math, calculus, trigonometry, physics, all of those things. Why would the Lord do that to me? You see my point? This big, huge valley and this river, he says, no, you can't handle that. I'm going to give you something according to your ability that I know you will love, that I know you will enjoy doing, and that I know you will be humble enough to seek my face in order to do it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've told you guys this before. When I was in Gwinnett County Jail, for the last time I was there, and when I gave my life to the Lord, and I wasn't going to be there this time for long, and I gave my life to the Lord Halloween night, and I asked the jailer for the Bible, and when I got the Bible and they finally put me in the cell, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. And I was sitting there, and I I told the Lord, I'll never forget. I said, Lord, I wouldn't mind doing this. I wouldn't mind doing this. Never thought I would be here. But he knew. He knew. He knew my heart. He knew he, he thumbed on me. All the time, I never knew when, when I, I had the scholarship to go play basketball. And I said, Mom, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I don't know what I want to do. And she said, oh, boy, you're going to, you're going to college. <laughs> because my sister and my brother, was, they had gone. I never knew. That was my whole problem with life. I never knew what I wanted to do. And as I was reading, I said, Lord, I, I love your word. I can do this. I love doing this. And by his grace, I'm here. And so he's teaching me, he's taught me that where everyone else is in life, I don't have to envy those things. David says, paraphrase, and I usually know it verse by verse, I don't wrestle with things too wonderful for me, and that's okay. Because he's carved out my niche where I'm supposed to be. And I love doing it. So I don't, I'm content. And that's what the Lord wants. He knows exactly what to give us. 
The question is, am I being faithful? I'm sure there's a lot more people in the greeters ministry, nursing moms ministry, nursing ministry, all those other ministries that has been more faithful than me. Because that's what it boils down to. Five talents, two talents, one talents. He doesn't say, I want you to have this. I just want you to be faithful for what I've given you. Are we being faithful? Wherever our lot is in life, are we being faithful? Because he's going to hold us accountable for that. He's going to hold us accountable. And that's what makes it easy. That's why when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, because he knows what to give us. He knows where to put us. And then all we have to worry about being is faithful. And if he puts us right where we're supposed to be, it shouldn't be much to be faithful there. But if I was a rocket scientist, I wouldn't be faithful there. (laughs) I'd be scheming, manipulating. How do I do this? Calling Brian, calling other people. What should I do here? No. And that's why they went out, and this is my point, they surveyed They may have said, I can use that. I can handle that. I can do that. But God knew they couldn't. And so when the lots were cast, he put them exactly where they needed to be for their benefit. That's a loving, that's a caring, that's a kind God. He never wants us to strive. He never wants us to labor. If we allow him, he will put us right where he wants us In this season, whether we're single, whatever we are, our lot in life right now, he has you there for a purpose. The worship team can come up. Our God is good. Please remember, this inheritance, if we leave our kids anything, property, yeah, that's good. Land, that's good. But we should leave them a godly heritage. I was so pleased yesterday. I, I, I bragged too much probably on the men ministry. But uh, just to be there and watch Hank share, and I told Lydia, what blessed me more than anything, as he was sharing, his dad, was, he was here also. And I said, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Watching, cultivating your kids, growing, never, always being by their side there to help. And the men here are stellar at doing that. That's why I'm glad we're having all these babies. I just want to see these godly men and women raise them up. Because if you're not guiding them and directing them the way I want you to, I'm going to say, hey, hey, let's pull you to the side. Hey, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. No, I will not do that. But it pleases me to see that, you guys. Continue to walk with the Lord. Continue to allow him to put you where he wants you. He sees everything. We don't. And it will be a blessing to us. Let's pray. Father, I'm amazed at your gentleness. I'm amazed at your gentleness. How you have all of the power in your hand and yet, You are so gentle. Hmm. I'm reminded of what Jacob said when he was leading the children, his his people back, Rachel and, and his sons back, and he met Esau. And he told Esau, no, Esau, you go ahead because I've got to drive 
my family gently. I care for them. And Lord, that's the way you care for us. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. You know exactly the amount of weight to put on us, to turn our eyes back to you when it's fixed on something else. You know exactly the amount of grace to give us, to keep us thirsty and hungry for you, Lord. I'm amazed at you, Father. Lord, may we run towards you, not away from you. May we understand that you have given us great and precious promises. May we understand that the victory has already been won in Christ Jesus, and all we have to do is go in and do have mop-up duty. Mop-up duty might seem hard sometimes, but with you, Lord, all things are possible. So, Lord, thank you for meeting us here this morning. Thank you for your, the gift of your word. May we be sons and daughters that are on fire for you, passionate for you, speaking when you tell us to, and being quiet when you tell us to do. Everything by your marching orders. Lord, we love you. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Let's stand and close.